A couple things. Uh, first off, now people have been asking about when we're going to do uh, those once a month after second service, talk about certain things in culture that are going on that kind of relate to us as Christians. Thing, political things I don't talk about from up here during messages. We're going to do the first one of those on Sunday, March 5th, after second service. Uh, and then a month after that, that first Sunday, we're going to answer any theological questions you may have. So every other month, we're going to kind of go back and forth cultural things, and we're going to go to uh, theological things, back and forth, back and forth. And we are looking to launch our Element U, which we're going to call Gospel and Culture, a midweek. It'll be about an hour and a half to two hours on a midweek for about six weeks as we learn about Christianity and culture and how we relate and, and that kind of stuff to kind of take what's coming in and speak the gospel out. That'll start in, what do we say, Mikey, April? Yeah, I don't know. You're not even looking at me. Okay, yeah, so I'm going to say April. What's that? Sounds great. Okay, we're, we're great. Second thing I have is maybe you hear all these things. We're asking people to help out around Element, and you're like, I can't greet because I can't smile. I don't know how to say hi to people. But maybe you're really good at destruction and rebuilding. And if you are someone who is good at drywall, uh, we have got some water damage from the last rainstorm. We have to pull out of a couple rooms. We have to pull the drywall off and then let it dry out and then re-put drywall on. And if you are good at that and want to help do that, uh, talk to Sarah at the Welcome Center and let her know. And we're going to do, it's not going to be a lot each time. We're going to do one room at a time and work through each room, but if that's something you're like, hey, I can do that. I can't shake hands, but I can pull drywall off a wall. Awesome. Uh, come and talk to her, uh, let her know, and we'll let you know how that is all shaping up. I think that's the only two things I have. Uh, welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on the communion tables throughout the room. They look like this. And on the front, it tells you kind of what we're going through, the book of Galatians. On the inside, you get a little recap of what we're talking about, the, some questions to ask some friends or family or gospel community about. On the back side, you get the verses we're going to hit today, and then you get a place to write down some notes. If you have a smart device, you can download an app. It is called Uversion. You click on more and then events and Uversion will come up by GPS in your smart device and you will get the sermon notes, the verses, the questions, the link to have us watch your kids, not your puppies at the pizza whatever thing they're doing. You can sign up for that. Uh, my name is Arnold. I'm one of the... No. Uh, <laughs> Actually, I'll do that because Donald many times records this and puts this up online as the message only. So my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors at Element. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? And this is Galatians chapter 2, verse 10, and it says this. Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would have us be a people who understand who you are better, our own salvation, and that we would be a people who are eager to do the things that glorify and honor you. Not because it makes you love us more, but simply in response to your great love given to us. Teach us to live in ways that understand the gospel and that make us an eager people to glorify you and to love others around us. Amen. Have a seat. So we are doing this series in the New Testament book of Galatians. This is week six. If you have an element Bible, you can open to page 631. That's where Galatians chapter two is. 
Uh, now, Galatians is a New Testament book that is written to a group of churches in an area that understood the grace of God in what we call the gospel. The gospel. Now, the gospel comes from this word called evangelion, and what it simply means is good news. It's the announcement of good news, and sometimes that good news, different things in the world are things you respond to that then become good news to you. There are lots of quote-unquote gospel messages in the world today. Like uh, last year, Raising Cane's Open. And the first day they were open, everybody who went there got free food that first day, and a random 10 people got free food for a year. I didn't care. I don't like canes. But some people reorganized their schedules and their lives to make sure they got down there, got the free food, and maybe got that year's worth of free food. Sometimes it's uh, Good Friday, or Good Friday, it's uh, Black Friday. <laughs> totally different things. Uh, it's. <laughs> It's, it's Black Friday and you read this deal and I got to go wait in line in the cold, dark, wet if it rains and you reorganize your life around this announcement. I can get a TV or a toaster or some Star Wars toy really cheap and people wait in line and do that. Well, when we talk about the gospel, especially in this church context, it is the announcement that God has come to rescue and save us in the person of Jesus Christ. He has come to remove what stood between us and God and us and one another by a gift he himself gives to us. Everybody in this world, even when they try to be callous enough and push you away and build up walls, we all have this gnawing deep down inside of us that says we're not good enough. And that's because we've sinned against a good and a holy God. And we do all kinds of things to prove ourselves to others or to ourselves that we're not unworthy. And the gospel says that God has made us worthy through what Jesus has done, his righteousness laid upon us. We can never make ourselves worthy because our sin has stained us. And so the announcement is that Jesus came, died the death we deserve to die in our place on a cross, and he has risen to give us new life. He takes our death, he gives us his life. He takes our sin. He gives us his righteousness. So the question then becomes, just like raising canes, are we going to then surrender our lives, reorganize our lives all around what Jesus has done? Will we surrender our entire lives around the grace of God that's been extended to us? That becomes the question. So the gospel that Paul has been preaching is this message and these people's lives in Galatia. They have changed how they live. They, they are worshiping God. They are loving one another. These churches are being planted. Joy is abounding. But then these false teachers come in and they say, you are not saved totally by the grace of God. You also have to do all of these other things like get circumcised. If you're an adult male, you have to follow the law. And then they were saying uh, that Paul wasn't a real or true apostle, that he wasn't sent or approved by the real apostles who were in Jerusalem. So Paul has now spent the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, talking about how the people in Jerusalem, those apostles, gave him what's called the right hand of fellowship, meaning they said, this is a great ministry, you're going to the Gentiles, so you keep going, we'll go to the Jews, we'll go hand in hand, this will be a beautiful thing. And at the end of it, this is why Paul says what he says, they didn't add anything to me, they didn't add anything to the message. But then he says this at the end, Galatians 2 verse 10, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, I don't mean to just make points longer throughout the good book of Galatians to make the book longer, but we have to understand how important that line is. And so we're going to really spend today 
talking about that line. You say, why? Well, at the beginning of Galatians 2, it's this whole question. Is the gospel Paul is preaching the entire gospel? Is there something missing? All these people have these questions about it. Paul goes to Jerusalem and talks to the leaders there, and they say, this is the gospel message. Yes, hand in hand, let's go out. There's nothing else to add to it, except maybe don't forget about the poor. Now, this isn't something that's like, here's an extra thing on top of the gospel. It's actually a response to how we begin to live because of what the gospel does in us. That one request, and Paul says, I was happy to do it because it's a common cause in the gospel. They asked him to remember the poor. Now, there are lots of commentaries you can read on this, and they brush right over that verse like it doesn't even matter, like it's not a big deal. But if it's not a big deal, why would Paul put it there in his letter as the thing I was eager to do? One commentator says this, I was reading this and said, the request was not related to the point at issue and so is immaterial to the conflict stood up by the Judaizers in Galatia. And that is all they said about it and moved right on. Guys, that completely dismisses Paul and what he's saying right here. Because for a lot of Christians today, that's how we live. We don't really remember the poor. We don't care about that so much. But Paul here seems to connect it to our response to the gospel how we begin to live out because we understood that we were poor and God came to us and rescued us where we are and that sends us out to people in the world. Now, if you know me, I am a good, reformed, theological boy. I love orthodox theology. I love conservative theology. That's me. I love that. But many times people who love conservative theology, we tend to forget the poor. In our run-out theology, we forget the poor. I love orthodox beliefs, but many times those who are the most orthodox tend to turn a blind eye to the plight of the poor. And doctrinally sound does not mean we ever forget the poor. On the other side of that, though, the tragedy of liberal Christianity is many times it remembers the poor, but it forgets the gospel altogether. Like many churches are eager to participate in food pantries and social services, but they never speak about the fall of man, substitutionary atonement, the forgiveness of sins, the blood of Jesus. And one of the messages of Galatians that is so important, why I'm spending today on this, is Paul says it's both. It's both. They both come together. We do not forget the gospel, and we do not forget the poor, and they both come together, and hopefully that makes sense. Now, it's kind of funny because when I was putting this message together, my wife and I were finishing this TV show called Madam Secretary. I don't know what, what, tele, what station it was on, but we were watching it on Netflix, and we got to the end. And at the end of the show, the last couple seasons, they kept talking about the Apostle Paul. Madam Secretary's husband is a biblical scholar, and every time Paul came up, they disparaged him for being patriotic having something against women, not caring about anyone. And all it shows is writers of TV shows do not understand Paul or the Bible. And I really think if you're going to have a biblical scholar, you should really maybe have somebody on staff who can explain to you what the Bible means. But they don't really do that. And I kind of wonder, but then I don't wonder because it's kind of Hollywood and they always teach us to distrust the Bible anyway. But it's not just Hollywood that does that. It's not. In the church, we tend to pick and choose the things we like out of the Bible and say, I like this, I don't like that. A mark of our culture right now is that we want spirituality without theology. We want some kind of heart feeling, oh, I'm really close to God, without our mind and our life coming in line with the scriptures. Every one of us have been affected by this in some way and to some degree. Uh, Let me just give you an example. Uh, People do this with sex today, right? They say, I want to have an intimacy with somebody. I want to feel close. I I don't want to be married. I don't want that love thing or whatever that is. I just want to do what I want to do, and that's how I want it. Well, we bring that into our relationship with God. 
And people will say, I want intimacy with God, but I don't want to have to deal with the whole Bible. I don't want to have to put God absolutely central to my life. Because what about all the things I disagree with? Because there's tons of things I disagree with God about that's in the Bible. And, and so we don't like the ethics. And so we don't want to change the way we live. And yet, for some reason, we still want a vital connection with that God. The God we say we really don't like. In the book of James last year, I told you, James calls this a double-minded man. And in our context, that would be maybe compassion without theology or theology without compassion. It's double-minded. At James chapter 1, verse 7, he says, That person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. When James talks about this, this is people who are desiring wisdom, to live in God's wisdom in the world. Like, oh, we claim we want that. But James says there's a pre requisite to living in God's wisdom. You know what it is? Trusting God. That's how you're going to live in God's wisdom. It makes us a humble people. We don't have the wisdom. God has the wisdom. And so James says, when we don't trust God in the things that we go through, we're like a cork in the ocean. We're just being tossed around by every new wind of cultural change that begins to come along. Double-minded literally means two-souled. Uh, John Bunyan, in this book called The Pilgrim's Progress, which is a spiritual allegory of the Christian life, he called this person Mr. Facing Both Ways because he's trying to face two different directions, and you can't really do that. James says, that person must not suppose he'll receive anything from the Lord, and no wisdom. And it's kind of pretty harsh in the English translation, but it's kind of true. The person James is referring to is someone who says, I believe in Jesus. I have trusted Jesus for my salvation. I am indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But they doubt who God is in their situations, and it makes them unstable. When we doubt who God is, even when we say we trust him for our salvation, we won't live in the wisdom that he provides. The word faith that's used here is the word trust. We trust God in all things. Because we can doubt lots of things that are coming around us, but we don't doubt the goodness of God or how he calls us to live. And so what does God call us to be eager to do? What do we trust him in? If we want wisdom to come from any situation we find ourselves in, we walk through them in the grace of God, in the gospel, we must believe in the immense, omnipotent, holy God of the scriptures and that he loves us and that he is right. C.S. Lewis says this, if you want to figure out where someone's going to end up in their life, you look at what their theology is. Because we all have a theology. It's we believe in God, don't believe in God, little God, big God, whatever it is. We all have some sort of theology. And he says you can tell where someone's going to end up based upon that because that's the map they're following in their life. And if you are centered around yourself, you're going to end up in a spot where you might be alone. Because that's where your map is leading you to. Now, I love maps because maps shows various roads. Sometimes it tells me I'm at a place I didn't even know I was there. Uh, Google Maps is great. My wife and I were in Iceland a couple years ago. And we're trying to go to this cruise thing for the Northern Lights. And so we're walking and walking. And then my thing says, you're here. And I'm like, I guess we're here. And it was. It was like right in this little kiosk thing. I'm like, oh, that must be it. We were in Peru last year for our 30th wedding anniversary. We were trying to find this restaurant and I wouldn't have known it. And my phone didn't say, you're here. I'm like, oh, I'm here. Oh, it's right there. And I wouldn't know without the map. And so if we are people and we say, I believe that Jesus saved me from my sins. I believe that I ran from God and in his grace and in his goodness, he saved me by a work he himself does. I am not saved by my works. I am saved solely by grace. That's the map. That's the map. And if you say, I believe that with all my heart, but it doesn't make you eager to love the things that God loves, you're not really following the map. We're not. 
or not. You can't have a deep theology without a spirituality, and you can't have a spirituality without a deep, proper theology. And what Paul is saying over and over again is if we lose the truth of the gospel, then the freedom to live in the mission God calls us to is gone. And the one truth he keeps pushing towards is we are accepted through Jesus Christ and nothing else. And when we understand that, we will be eager to do what Christ did. Okay, so practically speaking this morning, I felt like last week was practical, this week is practical. Give you some history and theology next week, but this week is practical. So I got three questions in this to make this practical for you. Number one is this, what are you eager to do in the name of Christ? What are you eager to do? What is your understanding of the gospel of God's rescue of you make you eager to do? Now, in the text, eager is a really strong word. It affirms a clear resolve, a willingness to do whatever it takes to make something a priority in your life. So maybe that's a better question for us, right? What is the priority in your life? Hard question. Uh, I sometimes like to talk about the difference between ideals and values, especially in premarital counseling. I do this a lot. I talk about ideals versus values. Ideals are the things we say we believe. They're the things we want everybody to like us because, oh, look how compassionate you are. But if you don't do any of those, they're not really your values. They're just your ideals. We spout tons of ideals today, like uh, helping the poor is good. Eating right is a priority. Exercise is important. Arugula tastes just like lettuce. All this, right? Now, values are what you actually do. Uh, when I talk to people in premarital counseling, we, we talk through money. And one of the things that I talk about is giving to a church, if they're Christians. We, I talk about giving to a church. You know, in your priority, one to ten, giving to the church is what? And it's so funny. You come a pastor. And they're like, oh, it's a ten. It's a ten. And I'm like, look. I'm just right now being your buddy. I'm not a pastor. I want to know not your ideal of what you say. What do you actually do? And most people are like, two. Because ideals and values are completely different. Our values are things like we don't exercise, but we claim we should. We eat poor food or eat good food, but then slather it with like ranch because good food doesn't taste great. So you want to put something on it that makes it taste better. And we say generosity and giving isn't important, but what do we actually do? Well, look at your bank statement, your credit card statement, and many times we see glaring inconsistencies. And so we have to look, how do we spend our money? How do we spend our time? How do we spend our lives? And when you truly look at that from the outside, maybe ask a friend to help you, you're going to see what your values actually are. And many times our ideals and values are completely different. And so Paul says, my priority is I'm eager to help the poor. And he is doing that by bringing funds from these Gentile churches down into the destitute church in Jerusalem. Now, we want to be specifically looking at the context of the passage. You want to be faithful to what's happening here. And so Paul and the apostles here are not actually talking about all the poor in the world. They are specifically talking about this church in Jerusalem that was in a destitute position and how the Gentiles were coming in to actually help them. The people who were reviling Paul, Paul doesn't care about the real Jewish people. Paul isn't, must not actually be a Jew himself. Paul is, and, and Paul say, no, I do. And this is why he brings this money to the destitute Christians who are Jews in Jerusalem. Part of, part of what he's doing here and what the early church is doing is trying to bind these factions together to say there's not a Jewish Christian church and a Gentile Christian church. There is one Christian church. 
Now at Element, this is one of the reasons we have been refocusing you guys on the idea of mission and what it means. Because we believe when we are a people who live on mission together, mission is God's calling in his people's lives, where we want to see people who don't know him come to know him, and those who do know him move from self-focused to kingdom-focused and live all of our lives in places of service by offering God's love out into the world. This is what we want to do. And when we live on mission together, all of a sudden closeness will begin to get developed. A unity will be developed. When you are in the trenches together, this naturally begins to happen. So first question, what is your priority? It's like, why did I come to church today? Okay, what is your priority? Second question for logistics sake is, who are the poor? Who are the poor? Because we obviously don't live in the first century. We are not Paul. The starving Jewish Christians in the first century are all dead. They are buried. So does that mean we're off the hook? We don't have to worry about anybody anymore. No. Okay, no. In case you didn't know. Uh, This is the reason why when I talk about the poor in the Bible, I usually like to use these words that Jesus used. The least of these. The least of these. Because in the Bible, when you hear poor, least of these, that usually refers to widows and orphans, because those are the most helpless in society. Orphan literally translates as the word fatherless. And so they're said to live in distress. Distress is this word for pressure, because they don't have food, clothing, shelter. There's this desperate need. Now, obviously today, we have a whole social welfare system that can and does step into these situations. There's also, I know, a whole gamut of people who are homeless, who say they want your money, but they really just want your money to go spend it on things, and they're not actually homeless, when there are other people in need who are homeless, and how do you even begin to tell the difference? And so what we have to do is look at our society and who's the most vulnerable and ask those questions because the most vulnerable are the least of these. Uh, Last year, I gave you this quote from this guy and he said this, religious observances, no matter how perfectly observed and appropriately reverent, are empty if if there is no concern for the needy. So there's always people in the world who can use our support, and it can get overwhelming at times. It really can. And so how do you know how to parse out what's a real need versus the false? How how do you actually step into that? And this is one of the reasons why you hopefully are part of a church like Element. Because at Element, we do vet needs that come to us. We have a particular vision of of what we think God wants us to do in the world. And we give to those needs around us. And that can help you to be... I was talking to somebody last night, this captive hearts dinner. And they're like, I don't know, do I give this? And I said, well, first off, I said, we give to captive hearts. And when you give to us, part of that goes to them. We want you to be a people who can trust us. And this is why we show you through those mission updates that we give you of all the things we give to you. These are how we help in the world. We vet things. When I walk out of one of those stores and the guy in the white suit and he's ringing the bell or sticking his bucket in my face, I don't actually feel guilty not giving to him. I don't know where that's going. Buy another white suit. I don't know. But I know where my money goes when I give to Element. Let me just give you some places that Element gives to. First off, like I keep talking about Captive Hearts. Captive Hearts is a local ministry that offers a place of refuge for those caught in sex trafficking, substance abuse, domestic violence. They offer a place to live and a recovery program for those who fall through the cracks. We also support in Santa Maria another one that is specifically looking at sex trafficking called Casa of Hope. Uh, globally, we have this church plant mission in Thailand. That's all the pictures around the room right now. We give to them because there are these kids who are getting to a place in their lives when they hit high school, government no longer pays for school. Their parents have to pay for it. It's like 70 bucks a month. Doesn't sound a lot to you. It is a huge amount of money in Thailand. And so these kids hit high school. And then all of a sudden they're like, what do I do? Let's go down to the big city and I'll get a job there. Most of those kids end up being sex trafficked. 
It is, it is a horrible, horrible thing. And so we partner with these people and you pay the entire yearly budget for that a ministry that's there. You guys do. Because the church that they're building up is young kids, high school kids. They don't have money. They can't support a church. And so we support them in this ministry. If you want to support a kid so they can go to high school, we have signups at the Welcome Center. You can grab one. You can do it with somebody else. It's 70 bucks a month for 10 months. And you can keep a kid in school so they don't have to go and do that. But we support that ministry. You guys support that ministry. Locally, we give to the Good Samaritan Shelter, the Salvation Army. We give to this thing called Blessings in a Backpack for kids who need meals. We give money to this place called Jack's Helping Hand. That's for disabled children. We give money to these people named Brian and Bailey Pruitt. And what they do is they train pilots who are missionaries who can go into foreign countries, who can go into the middle of nowhere in places and still have the gospel go forward. They train these pilots. It's an amazing ministry. Globally, we support clean water drinking projects and free will uh, free wheelchair access in third world countries. We reach out to Delta teachers across the street and students with not just money, but time and love and support as well as we are a major uh, contributor to a church plant taking place in San Luis Obispo right now with a guy named Ben. You'll get more updates from him coming up. But guys, we vet a lot of needs that come in, and I, we believe God's given us a vision, and so we move forward with that. Element is a generous church only because you guys are a generous people. And so we give not just our, of our money that we do that, but we also give of ourselves in hope and grace and the ability to speak the gospel. Why do we do this? Why are we eager to do this? Because this is what God has laid upon our hearts. God is the one who changes us. See, when you see Paul's response to the apostles and they say, hey, just remember the poor. Paul's not like, oh, you just want my wallet. Oh, you're just trying to take my money. How dare you? Paul's response is, of course we're in. What else would I do? God has so graciously blessed me. I'm going to bless others as well. Take our money. <laughs> Here we go. There's this idea, again, there's not a Jewish Christian church and a Gentile Christian church. There is one Christian church, and it's bigger than any local expression. And so, going to my next one, the gospel is then going to help us prioritize the poor by enabling us to be able to come in and identify with the poor in their poverty. So this is my third question. How then can we have a greater eagerness for those around us? How can we do that? Glad you asked. Okay, so it's very difficult for people to care and many times step into lives of people we don't feel like we have a connection with. Like, if we are completely honest in our lives, not ideal honest, right, but value honest, most of us, on the surface of it, have not really truly been poor in our lives. Most of us have not gone multiple days without food. Most of us have not gone multiple nights without a place to sleep. Like, unless you are on a diet or you stayed at that party too late or something like that. Historically and globally speaking, most of us are wealthy. If you make over $10 a day, $70 a week, 300 bucks a month, you're in the top tier of income wage earners in the world. Just think about that. But we have to understand, even though we may not feel like we connect exactly where the poor are, we are all deeply impoverished because of our sin. In Romans 3.23, it says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single one of us. And that means we are connected in our fallen humanity, in our sinfulness. There's a poverty in our relationship with God, with ourselves, with others, with creation itself. So even if we are not materially poor, we have a connection and compassion with everyone because we've all been in the same boat. 
We are all part of the fallen human race that Jesus came to rescue and save. The problem in society is not that there are poor people and you have rich people who are supposed to fix it because that brings about class warfare and more division. The truth is when our hearts are changed by the gospel, all of a sudden we want to reach into all these things around us. We want to begin to make a difference because of what the gospel has done. And what they need most is what you and I need most. What we need is redemption and rescue from spiritual poverty and a reconciliation with a good and holy, loving God. And that's the invitation of the gospel. None of us come to Jesus until we first recognize our need, our spiritual poverty. And consequently, we're never going to live for Jesus unless we understand the gospel in a very deep level where we come to terms with our own poverty. Uh, One writer says this, The gospel causes us to prioritize the poor by enabling us to identify with the poor in our own poverty. So the gospel will cause us to prioritize others because we realize how much we have been given, the abundance of grace that we have in our lives. And this is why that mission grid becomes so important. Mission is God's calling in our lives. We've been given so much. We are people, if you believe in Christ, who have gone from unbelief to belief. And hopefully you have others around you and you are growing from being self-focused into being more kingdom-focused day by day with one another in discipleship. And that leads us to a place where we realize how much we've been given so we begin to live in service of others. When you look at the apostles, the disciples, they weren't rich, but they shared what they had. And maybe you don't have a whole lot and you give a little bit, but there's also tons of other stuff you can give in terms of your understanding of God's grace saving you. Like Peter and James and John and Jesus, they all talk about this. Like Paul, Galatians 4, 7 will say, you are no longer a slave, but you are an heir of God's kingdom. That's all of us, no matter your financial state. Ephesians 1, Paul will say, you have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Peter Peter will say in 1 Peter 1, you have been born again to a living hope. That's all of us. In John chapter 1, it talks about how we have been adopted into God's family with the rights of children, every single one of us. Romans chapter 8, Paul says we are fellow heirs with Christ. We are an heir of what God is giving. In Luke 12, Jesus talks about how we are promised the kingdom by the good pleasure of the Father. In Romans 4, Paul says we are heirs of the whole world. What you have to understand is the early church never saw giving as something being taken away from them. They saw all their giving as being done out of their abundance. This is why they were eager to do it. The gospel doesn't change us to give and call you to give to other people what you don't already have. That's why I tell you, God never blesses us except to make us a blessing to other people around us. God doesn't challenge you to go out and steal from a bank like Robin Hood and steal from the rich and give to the poor. He wants us to give out of the abundance that we already have. And so the gospel changes us to see our lives differently. It changes us to see all of humanity differently because we want everyone to know the saving work of Christ. Todd Wilson writes it like this. He says, The gospel causes us to prioritize the poor by calling us to follow Jesus in his pursuit of the poor. Meaning that the gospel calls us to a life of discipleship and following Jesus, which takes us where Jesus leads. And one thing is crystal clear. Jesus cared about the poor. He pursued the poor, really by becoming poor himself. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you by his poverty might become rich. Jesus, in his pursuit of the poor, didn't just meet needs by giving food and clothing them, though he did that. He also, most importantly, proclaimed the good news. Going back to the beginning, compassion and theology both 
coming together. One leads to the other. Luke 4, verse 18, Jesus says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. The gospel to the poor, what God is doing. So how do we proclaim the good news? How do we have a greater eagerness? I'll give you five things, bullet points, really fast. Take a breath. I'm almost done. Here we go. Number one is this. Start with a focus on gratitude to God. These are in your notes, by the way. Start with a focus on gratitude to God for what you have. Rather than feeling guilty for what God has placed in your hands, you are meant to be able to enjoy the things that God has placed in your hands. God doesn't go, here, here's something. Now you can't have that. He gives you money and things so you can actually enjoy it. But we are to understand our abundance so we also begin to give away. Our goal is never guilt in our blessings. If you have guilt in your blessings, that's going to change how you think about them. But if you have a thankfulness to God, that's going to change how we think about our blessings. Being thankful helps us to hold less tightly to the things we have been given and focus on the one who gave them to us. Secondly is this, be willing to open your eyes to the plight of the least of these, to the plight of the poor. Many times, I know we want to put the blinders on and close our eyes because either it's too much or we don't know who's the really poor. We must open our eyes and see what's around us and allow God's Spirit to help us to see things correctly. Martin Luther King Jr. said this, The violence of poverty and humiliation hurts as intensely as the violence of a club. In part, poverty is about having no money, but there is more to poverty than that. It's about being isolated, unsupported, uneducated, and unwanted. Poor people want to be included and not just judged and rescued at times of crisis. Now, is there some rescuing that goes on? Of course there is. But people who really understand their plight want relationship. They want to begin to grow. So we must open our minds and hearts so we don't remove ourselves from what's actually going on around us. Third thing is this. We open our lives to the poor. And that can be in a myriad of ways. Jesus even says in Luke 14, verses 12 through 14, that when you have a party, see, you're taking some of those good things and you're, and you're throwing a party. Jesus says, when, not if, when you, you need know, to throw more parties. When Jesus says you're having a party, don't only invite those who can invite you to their party. Giving doesn't have to be reciprocal. He says, invite those who couldn't or wouldn't invite you in order to bless them with the abundance that you have been given. And that could even be the abundance. Maybe you have a lot of friends and somebody doesn't, so you invite them in so they get connected in friendships. Number four is this. Let the gospel move your heart to understand Jesus' pursuit of the poor. Because we want to understand how Jesus pursued the poor. And so for most of us, that's going to be wrestling with the reality of the gospel itself and adjusting our attitudes towards those around us. That could be helping in a soup kitchen. It could be helping in a food pantry. But it could also be how God has offered you hope and he has restored you. And you want to give that hope to other people around you as well. And number five is this. Don't hide your life. Don't hide your life. There are some people who are Christians that God has blessed them in an abundance, and they're really afraid to let other people know that because they're afraid, you're just going to want my money. You're just going to take this away. Don't be afraid to be known. And if you're poor, don't be afraid to be known. Let people know where you are in life, what God has done in your life. Talk to one another about it. Because in the end, those who are not poor, realistically, we need the poor to help us to understand how we ourselves can better pursue Jesus. Why? Because if we are going to live a gospel-centered life on mission, we must love those around us that God loves, which is everybody, which is everybody. But I really tell you, in the scriptures you see, God has a special place for the least of these. He really does. And so when we forget the poor, we drift from the gospel. Guys, no matter how orthodox our theology is, no matter how white, hot, burning someone's worship service is or how large our budget or attendance, if we neglect the poor, 
we miss what it means to truly be a gospel-centered people. So let me start here. Who is our priority? Jesus. Exactly. You're an element. You can say it. Jesus. All right? Jesus is our priority, first and foremost. Who do we worship? We are eager to worship Jesus, but we want to reflect that light that shines in the darkness. So we must be eager for him to be known. And that's really so important to understanding what the gospel truly is in our lives because of what it leads to. The gospel is not a food pantry. The gospel is not how I help these people. The gospel is not how much I give. The gospel is the announcement that God has rescued us. And all of these other things are meant to come as a result of what the gospel actually is. This is why we begin to live our lives differently. It's a response. We do everything at Element Life we talk about as a response. We do communion as a response. We give as a response. We pray as a response. We sing songs as a response. Everything is a response, understanding that God has first come and rescued and saved us. This is why when we come to communion, you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us and you dip it in the wine or the grape juice. We don't pass communion throughout a room. You actually have to get up as a response and take communion. But it's a reminder of what God has done to save us in the good news of the gospel. It's a reminder to lay our lives down in thankfulness of the abundance of the grace that we received, this relationship that's been restored between us and God. And it's beautiful. And it's beautiful. And it should cause us to change how we then begin to live because of his grace and his mercy first extended to us. And if you are in here this morning, maybe some of the things I say in the back in your mind, you're going, they just want my cash. I can't believe this church. Why did I even show up today? Guys, we would love to pray with you about things like that because that's not what it's about. God does call us to be a generous people, a sacrificially giving people, but joyous in that. And the only way we're joyous when we understand that everything we have in our hands is simply a gift from God. Even the mental capacity or the strength to do a job, that is a gift of the grace of God. Everything comes from his hand. And that's how we want to live, as a thankful people centered upon him. And if you need prayer, and maybe you've never thought about it that way, and you want to talk to somebody about that, right across the way in the lounge, there'll be a couple people hanging out there, and they would love to pray with you. You can go during music, you can go after service is over, but they'd love to pray and talk with you if you need somebody to talk to. And again, Every week at Element, we talk to you how giving is part of our worship. This is why there's offering boxes on the walls or you can give online. But it's always a response to what God has done. We don't pass a plate. It's a response to God's great goodness given to us. And so I'd encourage you, grab some sermon notes, take some questions, meet with some people, talk about what you are eager to do in your life, what the gospel has changed your mind to see in your own life. And understand the great grace that we received and remind one another of that is how good our God actually is. He has rescued, he has saved, he has drawn us to himself and we get to live in the great abundance of the joy that he has given because he's simply amazing. He is simply amazing. Let us be a people who worship God in his amazingness as we are sent out into the world on mission to love the world as he has first loved us. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we ask that you would take and move us to be a people who understand better daily what the good news that we need to respond to actually is. That the good news isn't all the things we do. The good news is what you have already done in Christ for us. How you have brought us to yourself. How you have restored us by a work that you yourself has done. 
And I ask that we would find great joy in that and hope and security in that. That we would have a boldness to step out into this world in ways that reflect who you are. Because you are the one who is good. You are the one who has rescued us. You are the one who has given everything to us in abundance. As you, God, you could have just held everything to yourself, but you didn't. You gave and you continue to give. So much so that you give of yourself to rescue us and bring us back to yourself. And so have us be a people who trust you for the wisdom you provide and that we would walk in humbleness and we would walk in thankfulness and we would walk in grace and we would simply be looking for ways to bless and give to those around us with hope, with kindness, with the truth, and with all the monetary things that you have placed in our hands. And we look for the right way to be able to do that in ways that glorify and honor you. God, thank you for being good. And we ask all these things in your good son's good name. Amen. As we, I got like no music behind me at all. <laughs> Usually I got this like, or something. I just got nothing. Oh, there we go. Here's my emotional plea. No. <laughs> As we do, drop the curtains, guys. J- just take a moment and ask yourselves where God right now is calling you to be more generous, okay? That, again, that, that could be monetarily, it, but, but it could also be in all the places that maybe you should be offering hope to those you work with and, and you're not right now. Maybe it could be where you are to love and reconcile a relationship with somebody that you're not. And when we come, we think about this idea and these words of, of mission, of God's calling in our lives, of wanting to see people come to know him, to grow in him, to step out in service. You know, where in, in those, where do you feel like you're doing great? And, you know, because there's no guilt or shame in that. What it is, is we want God to grow us so we reflect better who he is to this broken world. And so ask God where you can be generous or maybe ask him where, where you haven't been where you haven't been trusting him, where the, where the gospel hasn't related to all areas of your life. Ask him to reveal that. And then step out and trust him and take some steps forward because he is the one who sends us to this world around us. He is the one who has saved us and sends us as his ambassadors. If it was me, I wouldn't use us. I would use somebody else because we are messed up. But he chooses to use us because he's good. And our messed up lives that become redeemed and saved are a testimony that God can save anybody. He can. And so we want to step out in the understanding of mission and calling and giving away the abundance that we have first been given. So ask him that. God, where do you want me to be generous? Where do you want me to step out? Teach me to trust you in the midst of this. Then come take communion and sing some songs with us. And hopefully we can step out into the super big bowl game today and uh, joy and grace with one another and celebrate because of the abundance of, of friendships and hopefully your team wins. It's not, but anyway. <laughs>